This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In the last week or so, we've noted the passing of um, three names you certainly would have heard in the news on almost a daily basis back in the late 60s and early 70s, all of whom passed away. Those would be the late Senator George McGovern, the late Senator Arlen Specter, and the former King of Cambodia, Noradom Sihanouk. And hopefully in today's program we'll have a word or two to say about the late uh, Prince Sihanouk, as he was generally known. We will, however, defer our chat um, on Arlen Specter to uh, next week's show, or probably the week after that. We'll be joined by... Um, Historical writer James Diogenio to take a look back at Arlen Specter and his career. But we're going to make a point today to talk about George McGovern, or rather, more luckily for us, we're going to uh, air a chant. We're going to re-air a talk I had with Senator George McGovern some years back. There's an old saying that nothing succeeds like success. Of course, that's never truer than in politics. Because he lost to Richard Nixon by a landslide back in 1972, he did not perhaps have the influence of the Democratic Party that he deserved. Of course, the fact that that landslide uh, of Richard Nixon's was engineered in no small part due to a massive amount of dirty tricks, which led directly to Watergate, is another topic we may have to talk about with uh, Jim DiEugenio sometime next month. In our third segment today, we'll take a look at, uh, at a local political issue, which is near and dear to... Uh, to my heart, noting, of course, that any opinions offered up on this program definitely do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. All right, without too much further ado, let's, uh, let's jump into uh, this date in history, which is, of course, the way we like to start this program. The date in question is the 25th of October. And this first item actually apparently had some impact on my family, even though it took place on October 25th in the year 14. 14- 15. Because it was during the Hundred Years' War between England and France that young Henry V, King of England, led his forces to victory at the Battle of Agincourt in northern France. The pivotal weapon for the beleaguered English was their six-foot-long bow. Now, the reason this has relevance to my family, and probably to some of your families as well, dear listener, is that on my mother's side, I descend from the Betancourts which apparently in the 1400s were French royalty. Unfortunately, during the Battle of Agincourt, they were also known as Targets. Yes, if you've ever seen that great 1948 film, which I believe won the Oscar, the version of Henry V starring Laurence Olivier, it's a famous scene where the English bowmen draw back their longbows and unleash this incredible hail of arrows to land on the various French royals. By the way, I should note that due to the artistry of Shakespeare and Laurence Olivier, I've seen that film and kind of can't help but root for the British, even though they're wiping out my whole family. But I guess uh, on the good side for me, apparently the Betancourts then packed up their bags, moved out to the Canary Islands, the Madeira Islands, and uh, I guess at somewhere along the line became my ancestors. So um, take that, Henry V. <laughs> At any rate, it was on October 25th in 1553 that the Spanish theologian Michael Servetus was convicted of heresy by the Inquisition. Two days later, he was burned alive for the good of his soul. 
And by the way, for those who like to point the finger at uh, fundamentalist Islam for its crazy behavior, maybe good to remind ourselves that it wasn't all that long ago that Christians were burning people for their for the good of their soul. Anyway, I guess today was kind of a big day for military disasters because on October 25th in 1854, in the Battle of Balaclava, English General James Thomas Brunel, 7th Earl of the Cardigan, led a charge of the Light Brigade cavalry against well-defended Russian artillery during the Crimean War. His brigade suffered 40% casualties. Of course, oddly enough, what was actually a military debacle is best remembered today due to the poetry of Alfred Lord Tennyson and his Charge of the Light Brigade, in which this suicidal blunder is now regarded as heroic. All right, much closer in time to the present, October 25th in 1964, the English rock group The Rolling Stones made their first U.S. appearance on Ed Sullivan's television variety show. Ms. McMillan, do you know what it was they played? Going round and round, yeah, reeling and rocking. What a crazy sound! But they never stop rocking. They'll move down. And finally, it was on October 25th in 1983, wherein, citing the threat posed to American nationals, which is mainly a bunch of medical students, on the Caribbean nation of Grenada by that nation's allegedly Marxist regime, President Ronald Reagan ordered a military invasion. Now, there are a lot of folks that think that uh, the main reason we had an invasion of Grenada back in 1983 was that the U.S. just hadn't invaded anybody for a while and needed the practice. Twenty years later, in the wake of an imminent invasion of Iraq, this correspondent found himself on an airplane flying between Barbados and Tobago, which put down in Grenada for a brief time. Before disembarking, a lovely Canadian woman who'd sitting been sitting next to me, recalled that she'd been there 20 years earlier during the U.S. invasion. She painted a rather vivid picture of sitting out in a chase lounge on the beach reading a book. As a U.S. Marine in combat fatigues slogged along the beach and advised every, everyone sitting there and advised all the vacationers sitting there that they should exercise caution because the Grenadans may have mined the beach. She found that to be rather hilariously ludicrous, and, and I, I'm pretty sure it was. I know when the medical students were later asked if they felt they were in imminent danger, their reaction was like, what? And as for the uh, large airstrip the Grenadians were building, which Reagan cited as possible uh, uh, advance work for sending in the big heavy at Soviet bombers and transport aircraft, well, others pointed out that, well, it, it would equally well serve for more commercial traffic. At any rate, that whole Grenada fiasco might make a good show one day, but it won't be today. Our quote of the day comes from Denzel Washington, who said in GQ, One of the things that saddens me the most about my people is fathers that don't take care of their sons and daughters. And you can't blame that one on the man or getting frisked. Fathers need to look in the mirror and say, what can I do better? Our quote of the day comes from humorist Ken Hubbard, who said, Fun is like life insurance. The older you get, the more it costs. Our joke of the day comes from Craig Ferguson, who said earlier this week, Larry King is moderating a presidential debate between third-party candidates on the Internet. That could turn out awkward. Most Americans have never heard of these candidates, and Larry King has never heard of the Internet. Our stat of the day 
A, which we've been sitting on for two years, is as follows. Oil production is among the most heavily subsidized businesses with tax breaks available at virtually every stage of the exploration and extraction process. For example, BP was getting a tax deduction of $225,000 a day for renting the Deepwater Horizon drilling rig. Well, I think that worked out pretty well for all of us. Stat of the day B, I don't know if you noticed this one from last month, that apparently Jeffrey Gunlock said last month that an estimated $10 million in 20th century art that was stolen from his Santa Monica home has now been safely returned. The police told him they have arrested two suspects. The wealthy bond trader had posted a $1.7 million reward for the return of the works. Gunlock said that thieves were in the midst of selling Mondrian's Composition A in Rouge et Blanc when the arrests were made. He had offered a $1 million reward for that painting alone. The thieves apparently also stole a Porsche Carrera and some expensive watches, which were not returned. Radio Paralogs would note that if your tastes run to expensive watches, Porsche Carreras, and million-dollar works of art, get a good alarm system. All right, I think we should jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for following the original intent of the law. In the wake of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia Carr getting issued a $31 parking ticket in Philadelphia despite a, quote, police official business, unquote, placard on the dashboard. Said a parking official, we don't recognize placards. It was, on the other hand, a bad week for our insane legal system with the word that after a Georgia pit bull attacked a five-year-old child, well, the dog was given its own court-appointed lawyer. Apparently, Judge William Woodrum ordered an attorney to represent the interests of the dog at a hearing to decide if it should be euthanized. Said lawyer Claude Kicklighter, that's his name, all I can tell you is the judge appointed me. I really don't know what the issues are. Mr. Maryland does point out to Mr. Kicklighter that one issue might be that the dog is incapable of speaking for himself. Of course, a broader issue might be, why is an issue of dog euthanasia in court? And finally, it was an ugly week for shameless marketing. When Pizza Hut last week scrapped an offer to award free pizza for life, to anyone willing to ask Mitt Romney or Barack Obama if they prefer sausage or pepperoni during their town hall presidential debate. The chain faced criticism for trivializing the political process. Gee, do you think? But we do want to note here that uh, while we're pretty tough on the American legal system, it appears that at least this week, dog-appointed lawyer and all, America does not have the world's most insane legal system. The award this week has to go to Italy. A court in Italy this week found earthquake scientists guilty of manslaughter for providing, quote, superficial and ineffective, unquote, assessments of and of disclosing, quote, inaccurate, incomplete, and contradictory, unquote, information about the dangers of an upcoming earthquake. Enzo Bashi, former president of the National Geophysical and Volcanology Institute, told reporters... 
I'm dejected, despairing. I still don't understand what I'm accused of. Bashi now faces six years in jail if his appeal is rejected. Now, since it's pretty well established in scientific circles that earthquake prediction is an imperfect science at best, you just have to ask the question, how is it someone who failed to accurately predict an earthquake could possibly be guilty of manslaughter? Reports quoted Tom Jordan with USC, who chaired an international commission on earthquake forecasting, saying that, uh, well, he didn't think such a verdict could be reached in the U.S., Said Jordan, quote, our legal system is quite different than theirs, and I don't think this would have played out that way in the U.S., but I think it does have a chilling effect, unquote. Before the verdict, 5,000 scientists from around the world signed a letter supporting those on trial, arguing it was impossible to predict an earthquake and accusing the court of putting science on trial. Could we see such insanity here in U.S. courts? Well, we'd say, don't bet against it. We would note here in Radio Parallax, this is not the only example of uh, crazy science-related stuff across the Atlantic. Reuters.com apparently deserves a good swift kick in the butt for the following report. Reuters noted that the Earth's magnetic field is weakening, which is undeniably true, and that it could all but disappear within the next 500 years, which is also possibly true, which would presumably expose our planet to intense solar radiation, which is surely also true. Other true things reported are that researchers say the geological record indicates that Earth's magnetic field tends to switch polarity every quarter million years or so, and that it's about 550,000 years overdue for a swap. This is where the reporting gets bad. They note in the piece that Mars, which scientists believe permanently lost its magnetic field about 3.8 billion years ago, could be a model for what Earth would be like if ours disappeared. Mars's lack of magnetosphere has allowed solar wind to strip the atmosphere away and up the amount of cosmic radiation making it to the surface. Adding, a similar event on Earth would wipe out all life. Well, that's true, but there's no evidence that this could possibly happen since we know the polarity reverses again and again and again, at least has done so on Earth over the last few billion years. So we would note that with all those dire predictions that are out there, we should probably stick to ones that are based on reality. All right, we've got to take a break in a minute or two, so let's go out with a, uh, a happier item. Like this one. A 96-year-old Indian man has been declared the world's oldest father after his wife bore him a son last month, the second in two years. Ramjeet Raghav, a farmer in a village about 30 miles from Delhi, said the doctors who delivered the healthy boy in a nearby hospital were surprised when he told them he was the father. Raghav said, I think it's important for a husband and wife to have sex regularly. And by the way, Radio Parallax endorses this belief. Raghav said, My neighbors are jealous, and they keep asking me for my secret. But all I tell them is that it's God's will. Mr. McMillan, at this point, is willing to go on record as saying that while it might be God's will responsible, it could also possibly be the work of the mailman. Radio Parallax, I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to air an interview we had previously with the late, great Senator George McGovern. Bye. 